0: Hey, good morning. Would you guys stand up with us? Hey, turn around and and say hi to somebody while we get started in this next song. love now. as a fan.
1: Jesus found me.
0: This morning, in our worship, as we give our offering, and I want to read something to you. Uh, This is from Psalm 103, it's verses 1 through 5. It says, Of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Verse 2 Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And that goes on and on for several more verses in that psalm. And I encourage you to read that today. God is good. Amen. As we give our offering this morning, let's not give first. You know what that means? Where we come and we feel like we have to bring God back into our graces. Or, or, or try and make the first move to bring him to us. He's here. He's, he's near. And if you don't know him this morning, he's very near. And he's calling you to turn and follow him. We give because he gave first. Amen? And so let's do that as we worship. Jesus, we love you. We praise you for who you are. You are so good. Truly, truly, God, we are changed forever, not just today and tomorrow and then going back to normal, but forever by your love for all eternity. It is steadfast, unmoving, unshakable, and it was first. So, God, we respond this morning in worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: to See
0: soul, mind, and strength that His wounds have paid our ransom as we have put our trust in Him. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your mercy, for your steadfast love that is forever changing us. God, would you help us to see that today? In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Good morning. My name is Joel Zaire. I'm one of the teachers for the fives in Kindergartens class. I also lead some of the large group time uh, back there in Sun Chasers. I'd just like to invite all the kids to come on up here this morning. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what we're going to be learning today. So if you want to come on up, bring your brothers and sisters your friends. Come on up and you guys can go and sit down here right in the front. We're going to have a little video. So if you want to make sure you can kind of see the screen, that'd be great. Yeah, right there's great. While they're coming up, I just want to say uh, my wife, Rebecca, and I have been working back uh, in Sun Chasers for the past several years, and it is an incredible blessing uh, to spend time with these kids. Um, When I'm back there and get the opportunity to watch them open up their Bibles and read from the Word, uh, and just to hear the things that they have to say, the truth that can come out of their mouths no matter what age, um, it's exciting. So if you ever have any thoughts or questions about um, Sun Chasers, you're thinking about volunteering, uh, please feel welcome to come and find me. I'd be happy to share uh, with you, what my experience has been. Uh, but there, there is um, just great blessings in being able to work with these kids. Uh, so, today, you guys, we're going to talk a little more about King David. Uh, we're going to hear about how King David sinned, uh, but how he was restored. And so, we're going to watch a little video first, and then uh, I've got something I need you guys to help me out with after that. Yeah, Jack, come on up, man. All right. You come yeah right wherever you want to sit man you go and have a spot
3: David was the king of Israel as King David's responsibilities included leading the army. one spring David sent out the army and he put another man in charge of this. David stayed in Jerusalem one evening, David looked out from the roof of his palace and saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, one of the best warriors in David's army. David sent his messengers to get Bathsheba and she came to David's house. Later Bathsheba told David that she was going to have a baby. The baby would be David's. David knew what he had done was wrong. David should not have a baby with someone who was not his wife. So David made a plan to make sure no one found out that Bathsheba's baby was his. David called Uriah home from the battle and told him to go spend time with his wife. But Uriah didn't think it was fair for him to relax at home while the other men were at war. He slept on David's doorstep and refused to see his wife. David's plan was not working, so he made up another plan. This time, he instructed Joab, who was leading the army, to send Uriah into the hardest part of the battle so he would be killed. So Joab sent Uriah to the most dangerous part of the battle and Uriah was killed. David took Bathsheba into his house to be his wife and she had a baby boy. God knew what David had done and he was not happy with David. God sent Nathan the prophet to talk to David. Nathan told David a story about a rich man who had many animals. Whenever a traveler came, The rich man did not offer his own animal. Instead, he took a poor man's lamb, the only lamb he had, and gave it to the traveler to eat. David was angry. The rich man should die, he said. You are the man, Nathan said. God had given David a position of great power, but David killed Uriah to take his wife. David realized he had sinned against God. David deserved to die. He won't die for this, Nathan assured David. But God will punish you. Your son will die instead. David confessed his sin and prayed, God, create a clean heart for me. David realized he could try to please God with sacrifices, but that wouldn't be enough to pay for his sin. God wanted David's heart to change so that he would not want to sin again. When David sinned against God, God forgave him. But sin always comes with a price. God spared David's life. But David's son died. When we sin, we can receive God's forgiveness because God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sin. Jesus died the death we deserve so that we could be made right with God.
2: Well, I need you guys to watch up here closely. So if you want to, you might want to stand up here for a second, too. That might help out. What you guys just heard about was, excuse me, I don't want to get any of you guys, was how David sinned, all right? And then a couple of things happened after after David sinned, all right? So I want you guys to take a look here. What's this you guys can't tell? What is that? Yeah, it's a little plastic ball, right? Easy to find. What else do we have here? Guts. All right, so we can put one under the cup. Do you guys know which one's under? Yeah? Okay. So when David, you guys still know which one's under? When David sinned, there's a couple times he tried to hide his sin. All right, I got a question for you guys. How many of you think it's under this one? This one? This one here? All right. Hey, there it is. All right. Okay. David tried to hide his sin, okay? You guys watching again? Yeah? Oh, Brock's watching. All right. How many of you in the middle one? A couple of people. How many of this one over here? No? Over here? Yeah. All right. You guys got it? Okay. All right. Should we go fast? All right. No? no? <laughs> Not fast? Some of you might still get it. Slow. All right. Let's try that. Okay. How many think it's under this one? Some of you, how many think it's under this one? Of you, how many think it's under this one here? Yeah. I get a little more confused. Well, not, not that guy. No, not that one. Yeah. Some of you are still right. All right. Okay. You're right. All right. Yeah. Some of you are right. Some of you missed. You got confused, maybe where it's got lost. Tried to hide it a little bit from you guys. Some of you guys followed it. Some of you didn't. Right. We're going to try it one more time. Okay. One more time. Let's try some different. All right, watch carefully, okay? All of you, make sure you're watching carefully. Should we go slow or fast? Fast, okay. So we'll go fast, okay? This is, all right, how many think it's under this one here? This one? How many on the far side? How many in the middle? All of you got that one right. Wow, that is impressive. It's clear, isn't it? The first ones were hidden. And sometimes, let me ask you this. How many of you have sinned? I'm going to raise my hand. I know I've definitely sinned. Sometimes you try and hide that sin, like under those red cups. And sometimes people may not know it. But under these clear cups, how many of you could see the ball under the clear cups? Yeah. Even when we try and hide our sin, who knows about our sin? God. God knows about our sin. And the cool thing, if you were listening and while we were singing this morning, uh, I noticed we talked about how each of us are sinners. But God knows about our sin, and if we confess our sin like David did, he's going to forgive us. All right? Every story that we talk about back there in Sun Chasers in this Old Testament talks to and speaks to the idea that Jesus is one day going to save us. Jesus has come to earth, and if you confess your sins, all right, and you trust in Jesus to forgive you for those sins, he will come to live inside you, and you will be saved, and you will be a child of God. And So I want you to think about that today as we learn more about King David. All right? You guys did a great job. So if you want to, especially you older ones, go back. If you've got your Bible with you, find Second Samuel uh, chapter 11, and you guys can follow along too. All right? Thank you, guys. You guys can head on back to your seats. Appreciate it. I'd like to go Ron can come on up, and I will go find my spot back uh, with my wife. So thank you guys so much. And again, if you have any um, questions about Sun Chasers, feel free to come and find me after the service or any time.
4: Thank you, Joel. I like those clear cups. <laughs> I found out something my name first of all, my name is Ron. I'm an elder here at Cross Point, and uh, welcome to our church service this morning, but I found out something new this morning. I found out that you can lead worship without any sleep. I don't know if anyone's heard the exciting news, but uh, Eric and uh, Bree are the proud parents of a new child. 1:30 last night, Lyle Warren was born. <laughs> congratulations seven pounds one eight ounce 21 inches uh so congratulations to eric and Bree. um <clears throat> this morning our topic is david and Bathsheba. as you know i really appreciated dave giving me this topic and then to throw the cherry on the top he uh says, oh, and Ron, by the way, it's a family service, so if you could throw in a little something for the kids, that would be great. And uh, let me get my timer here. One thing you need to know about me is that I am 55 years old. I um, have a hard time with technology, too, sometimes. Um, I, I'm very happy to tell people my age because I enjoy getting older. A lot of people fear getting older, but I enjoy it because um, I find that there are some benefits. Your, your body goes away and you start to lose some of your flexibility and things, but there are some positive things that come with that. And one of the positive things I'm finding and I'm enjoying is the loss of filters. And uh, the one filter I'm enjoying losing the most is the fact that I don't care that I'm losing my filters, and who knows what I'm going to be saying 20 years from now, But this morning, I am going to try to keep track of my filters in both time and in uh, topic this morning as we dive into this topic of David and Bathsheba. Um, We saw the video, so I don't need to probably recap uh, too much of the story, but I am going to look, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, that is where we find this story. So I'm not going to put it up on the screen this morning. I'm just going to summarize it again as the video did a good job of doing that for the kids. Um, I'm going to uh, reiterate some of the points of that, that chapter. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, in verses 1 and 2, we read that David was home while his men were off to war. And he saw a woman that attracted his, her, his attention. In verses 3 through 5, we find out that that woman's name was Bathsheba. He called for her as any king could do, and later he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant. In verses 6 through 13, we read about David's plan to cover up his sin. As we saw in the video, plan A was to call Bathsheba's husband Uriah the Hittite home from the battlefield under the guise of trying to figure out what was going on in the battlefield. Hopefully then Uriah would sleep in his own house and it would be a cover for David's sin. That didn't happen. Uriah was a man of great character. He said to David, how can I sleep in my own house when the men that I'm with are fighting out on the battlefield and he did not go into his house? So unfortunately, David had to go to plan B. David sends Joab, his army commander, a letter. In verse 14, it says this. Set, it says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by hand by the hand of Uriah. Imagine that. In the letter he wrote this, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Here is David giving Uriah a letter, his own death sentence. A letter that was no doubt sealed by the king so Uriah was not going to read it. Take it to Joab a death sentence that he was passing on. Imagine that. Do you know who Uriah the Hittite was? Um, I didn't really know that much about Uriah the Hittite until I started studying for this message a little bit. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, we read that Uriah was one of David's mighty men. It is likely that these were the men who came along, David, when he was fleeing Saul, and they were the ones that surrounded him and protected him from the armies of Saul. They were called his mighty men. There were 37 of them, the Bible says, There may have been a little bit more, they're not sure. But there wasn't many. This also explains why David was able to see Bathsheba. From his rooftop he was able to see her, and those who were closest to the king in those days lived close to the king, either in the king's court or nearby in the king's court. Which explains why Bathsheba was close to David. Isaac Watts, he was a pastor of Christ Church in London in the early 1700s, and during his life he wrote hundreds of hymns. One of the hymns you might know, it's called Alas and Did My Savior Bleed? In the first verse of this hymn, he asks three questions. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my Sovereign die? Would he forsake, would he devote that sacred head Would he forsake heaven for such a worm as I? Little did Isaac Watts know that when he penned that last question over 300 years ago that it was going to create a storm of controversy, not a storm, but a controversy in the church 300 years later. As people were writing that hymn and they were putting it into hymnals and they were putting it into choruses, people were changing the word worm to wretch or sinner such as I. And their thought was, and their their justification for that was, is that worm is a very strong word in today's today's language, Uh, especially when we have a lot of people with low self-esteem and we're not worms. We are children and daughters, sons and daughters of the king. We are heirs with Christ and we are not worms. We should be looking at our priesthood and not our humanity. Others take the approach that worms aptly describe who we are as human beings in comparison to the awesomeness and the holiness of God. There's no other way to describe ourselves. Thus the debate. And this created some good discussion, and I'm, I'm, there's a good discussion on both sides of this. It actually has a name. It's called worm theology. And if you look it up, there's people who talk about worm theology and what, how do we view ourselves on this earth. Well, this morning, I am going to fall on the side of worms. Why? Because of 2 Samuel chapter 11. David's life in this chapter, in this portion of his life, is an insult to worms underneath the ground everywhere. Who uses their position of authority to sleep with another man's wife? Who kills her husband, delivers his own death sentence by his own hand, a person of honor, a person who's come along beside you and rescued you in the past, and you're going to send that person a death sentence. Who does that? Wicked. This is stuff you see on 2020. This is stuff you read about or see on Dateline. This is not stuff you should be reading out in the reading in the Bible. This is stuff that tells us of our sinfulness and our worm position. So the first point of my message this morning, you, you may or may not want to write this down very deep. So you might want to write it down. My first point is David was a worm. Point one. So what happens when you get a volunteer pastor. You get real deep theological points. <clears throat> point one, David was a worm. Yes, he was a man after God's own heart. Yes, he was the king of Israel. Yes, he wrote the majority of the Psalms. Yes, yada, yada. Yes, David was used greatly by God. But in this Part of his life. At his core, David was a sinner. A sinner in desperate need of a Savior at this point. The second point of my message this morning is, you don't have to, please don't write this one down, but my second point is this. Ron Peterson is a worm. I've been married to a wonderful woman for 26 years. What I'm going to say this morning is not new to Karen. We've talked about it in the past. But in our 26 years of marriage, I have not been 100% faithful to her. I, like David, have committed adultery. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I have a heart condition called sin, just like David. Physically, I have been faithful to my wife. But Jesus says, don't just hang your hat on the physical thing. Sin is there long before any physical action takes place. Now, I haven't pressed Karen on this, but I have a sneaky suspicion that if I were to ask her, she probably hasn't been 100% faithful to me either in our 26 years of marriage when we apply Jesus' words and when we apply Jesus' standard, standards to what sin is and to its impact on our lives. We, are all, we all contain the same seeds of sin as David does, as David had. Jesus earlier in the Sermon on the Mount describes murder. He says, you have heard that it was said verse 21 he says you have heard that I said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. <clears throat> but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Those are strong words that Jesus said in Matthew 5. Jesus not only upholds the law in his teaching, but he raises the bar in his teaching. He points out that the heart that drove David to commit adultery and the heart that drove David to commit adul- or to murder is the same heart that beats in every one of us. No one is immune from the disease of sin that we have. If we were to list the most heinous sins, I'm assuming murder and adultery would be somewhere near the top. These two sins obviously have the most physical consequence here on this earth. However, when I read 2 Samuel chapter 11, there's a more insidious sin that creeps into my life that I'm not aware of as much, but it's a sin called pride. First, pride gives me the wrong impression of my sinfulness. It's what keeps me from seeing my need for Jesus. I look at the life of David and say, at least I've never physically been unfaithful to my wife. I've never killed anyone. I've never slept with another man's woman, wife, excuse me. I compare my faithfulness in marriage to him, his, and I ignore my own physical, my, or my own <clears throat> spiritual condition. I'm a mud wrestler walking around covered in mud, keeping my nose clean, pointing out the mud in everyone else's life and saying, God, look at me, I have a clean nose. And I think I'm cleaner than I actually am. <clears throat> Technically and spiritually, there is not a spot of dirt on, on me thanks, thanks to the blood of Jesus, which Paul says cleanses me from all my sin. But I'm stuck with this physical sin racked body until I leave this earth. And while I'm here, my sinful self still likes to run around comparing myself to other sinners in hope that God and others will see me more attractive than I actually am. That's pride. John Owen, who was an academic administrator in Oxford in the 1600s, it's back when Oxford wasn't afraid to let people study the Bible. He said this in his book, The Mortification of Sin. He said, let no man pretend to fear sin that does not fear temptation also. Let, <clears throat> these, these two are too closely un, united to be separated. He does not truly hate the fruit who delights in the root, he says. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. So my pride works on me to go easy on my sin. It's like, yeah, Jesus said those things, but my, my pride tells me I know better. Jesus didn't really mean those things because I know that Adultery and murder, they're worse than the other sins, and that I'm not like that. I think I know more than what Jesus himself said. So that's pride. But that's not the main problem I find in my pride. The most insidious nature of pride is when I start comparing myself to God himself. Do you ever question things you read in the Bible? I do. particularly when I come across Bible passages such as this. Here are some of my questions when I come across 2 Samuel chapter 11. How could David continue to be king after this incident? He was the ultimate leader of God's chosen people. How could God allow someone who commits adultery, someone who commits murder, to remain in that position of authority? How does David continue living for that matter? In just a few chapters earlier in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6 we read about Uzzah who reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant and was stricken dead at the moment he touched the Ark because it was a, it was a disobedience to the command they said do not touch the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts we read about they went into the elders and they said they had given all their possessions they lied and they kept a little bit of possessions back for themselves they were struck, stricken with death because of that error in their and that that sin in their life. To me, there appears to be inconsistency in God's judgment here. So how would I deal with these questions? I deal with them by realizing, point number two, that I am a worm. My pride tells me that my brain is more complex than it actually is. And therefore, I have the keys to heaven and hell just as God has the keys to heaven and hell because he's given me this very complex and smart brain in my head. If we compare my brain to the nature of God who does not have a brain, he has a nature, if we compare that, the distance between my my brain and the worm's central nervous system is indistinguishable between Myself and the nature of God, we have to keep. I have to keep in mind of that. I was talking to a family member the other day, who was he started his own internet company, and he is no doubt the most brightest family in our member in our family member in our family. He's into software development, and we were talking about artificial intelligence, and he was talking, and we were talking about the difference between art. Artificial intelligence that is superficial and deep artificial intelligence. And he's saying the superficial artificial intelligence is where he works. It's self-driving cars, it's robotics, it's making machines do the things that we want machines to do. But what scares him and what scares others is deep artificial intelligence. And it's worth looking at. Uh, And it's worth researching because there are others who are like him, who are very fearful of what's going on with deep AI. Um, In his words, we're doomed. He said the only option and the only hope for us is that artificial intelligence will someday create its own super morality. And it's not just him that is talking about this, uh, even though I trust him because he's in that field. But Bill Gates, um, Stephen Hawking's Um, Elon Musk or others who are saying this deep AI is stuff that we need to be nervous about and we need to keep our eye on. So here we are as humans, so intelligent and so ignorant at the same time. We are in the process of creating our own electronic tower of Babel. As I was listening to him talk about that, that's what came to mind. We are developing this mind that is so deep and farther and faster than our own minds, that we run the risk of being outsmarted by the very creation of our own hands. And atheists agree. Stephen Hawking, in referring to his fear of deep AI, he states this in an interview, he says, and he's, he was referring to military interventions, and he says, when we get artificial intelligence that can outthink and outsmart our enemy, he says, when will it come, all, come back to us? and outsmart us. And he says something very interesting here. He says, humans, limited by slow biological evolution, couldn't compete and would be superseded by AI. I love the term what Hawking uses here. He says, slow biological evolution. He supports my worm theory. Our brains are biologically limited and in the scope of massive computers that can outthink us to the trillionth of a second in problems that take us hours to figure out. Our brains are way closer to a worm's brain than the own machine, our own machines that we are developing currently. <clears throat> Many will never come to Christ. Many will never turn to God because of their pride in their own biological brain. They will put their trust in their own unanswered, unknowable questions about God rather than the Creator God Himself. So point one, David was a worm. Point two, Ron is a worm. What's my point three? Point three is good. Point three is that God loves and saves worms. Hallelujah. Let's read what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 11, chapter 12. This is where God shows up. This is where the judgment and fire is going to come down, right? <clears throat> so chapter 12, verse 1 in Second Samuel. I'll read it for us. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb that he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah and if it was too little, if it were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who was born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And that was it. No fire. Nathan returns home and David remains alive. Nathan does tell David of the coming consequences of his sin, the loss of his wives and the loss of his son, but, the, but in the end God spares David's life. Now we can debate all morning about the fairness of God in this, in this judgment or the multiple wives question that is raised in this chapter as well. But in the end, we see a picture of grace and forgiveness that God gives. David repents, and God shows forgiveness. One of the greatest verses in the Bible is John 3.16. I know many of you know that by heart. If you don't know it by heart, it's a great verse to memorize. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A lot of us know that by memory. John 3.17, we don't memorize, we don't know quite as well, but it's just as an important verse. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Have you ever wanted to condemn someone? Have you ever wanted to set someone straight? If anybody ever needed to set someone straight, it was Nathan the prophet confronting David in this chapter. Did you notice how David confronts him? He approaches it with a parable. This isn't how I would have done it. I would have went in with my filters off. I would have zoomed in with some heavy condemnation. Nathan doesn't do that. Nathan recognizes that it is not his role to condemn. Nathan's role was simply to confront. And Nathan confronted in a manner that so that David would listen, so that David would hear what God was trying to say and that he would understand the egregious nature of his sin. In the end, it was David's sin that condemned him. It is our sin that condemns us. That's what sin is. It's what separates us from God. Our our condemnation happened in the Garden of Eden. So there's only one hope, and that is to call upon the one who loves us, the one who created us, and the one who sent his son to pay the price for David's sin and my sin and your sin. Hallelujah that God is in the business of loving and saving worms. Amen. A couple closing comments. If you are here this morning and you have not cried out to God for salvation, why not do that this morning? It's not my role, it's not anyone else's role to condemn you. That's that's an individual thing. Also, your salvation is an individual thing. And if someone's tried to condemn you, I apologize for that. It's not their role. The only antidote for our condemnation is trusting in Jesus and his shed blood for our salvation. In the Isaac Watts hymn that I mentioned earlier, the chorus goes on and states this. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Sin is heavy. It is a burden. It doesn't matter if your sin is murder. It doesn't matter if you've murdered anybody in here this morning. It doesn't matter how many people you've slept with, how much adultery has transpired in your life. Whatever the case It's a burden, and it's heavy. And there's only one place we can go to get rid of that weight, and that is at the cross of Jesus. Talk to someone who's laid their sin down at the foot of the cross, and I think you'll hear them say what it feels like to get rid of sin's burden. There's a joy and a happiness that can only be experienced by laying that down, laying the weight of our sin that God has freed us of by laying it at the foot of the cross. If you are a Christian here this morning, let's remember Nathan and let's determine in our hearts, let's determine that it is not our role to condemn. Just as Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world, so we too must enter into people's lives not to condemn, but to save. I don't know how old Nathan was, but he is my example of how to keep your filters in check. Let's follow his example. I'm going to close this morning, and we're going to listen to this hymn, Alas and Did My Savior Bleed, and then I'll close in prayer. Let's listen. you for your word. I thank you for men like David who followed you, who sought hard after you even in spite of their failure, who fell at the feet of your saving grace. Father, we just thank you for that. Father, I thank you for your son Jesus for taking away the condemnation and bearing that on the cross for us father for our sin and i thank you for the redemption and the salvation that we have father i just pray this week that you would help us to be grateful for the price that you've paid for grateful for the fact that you've called us sons and daughters and that we will reign with you someday and someday we will see see you face to face and we will understand father all the mysteries and the things that we don't understand here on this earth i just We look forward to that day, Father, when we can be with you. Help us this week to carry your message to those we interact with, that we might be your light and the salt here on this earth that you've called us to. Father, we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be dismissed. Have a great week.